Welcome to the Doing Epic Stuff podcast with your host, Mike Drohan. Together, we'll explore the stories and journeys of ordinary people doing extraordinary things. Seeking some soul nourishment outside of her primary vocation as a gun strategy and operations exec. In 2019, Kerry Boys made the radical decision to switch grooves. Successfully applying for a government-assisted program to assist not-for-profit leadership teams in Phnom Penh, Cambodia, she packed her bags and boarded a flight into the unknown. A year later, her Cambodia quest unexpectedly scuttled by a pandemic. Kerry found herself back in Sydney, Australia. Armed with a reaffirmed fervour for being the change she wanted to see in the world, and the knowledge that such great positive impact was possible with extremely limited resources, from this spark burst a flame. Kerry is a co-founder of Leaders for Good, a business and podcast which, in essence, exists to unlock the tremendous power of organisations as a force for good in the world, not just financial profit. This is a mission which, as we learn from Kerry, doesn't just make sense from a social responsibility viewpoint, but also the bottom line. A proven system to turn these big business dogs into good business dogs? Join Kerry and I as we explore the keys to starting and continuing organizational change, the pivot that led to Leaders for Good finding its feet, and much more on this episode of the Doing Epic Stuff podcast. Kerry, you were introduced to me by uh, a friend of mine, Isabel Dunn, and also former colleague, who I have uh, infinite respect for, and I actually recorded with her yesterday, which was excellent. Wonderful. Um, and since having introduced me to your Leaders for Good podcast, which was essentially the starting point, uh, I've since done a little bit of background check, done listened to a few episodes, which I've really enjoyed. And I just felt like your whole, uh, the whole initiative and the journey that you've kind of been on was really interesting to me. Obviously, the, the doing epic stuff um, angle is about more people doing more of what they consider extraordinary. And the, the leaders for good, which you can probably explain in, in a, lot, uh, a lot more concisely than I will be able to, uh, it's all, I guess, largely about social impact and mm -hmm. about having conscious change in businesses towards good things, which is, you know, excellent territory to be owning. And I think it's, I find it particularly interesting in that you're able to push that initiative, but also do it in a way that makes it commercially viable to do that and not <laughs> have to be totally broken in the process, yep. uh, which will be interesting to kind of unpack how that works. But before we go too far down that path, Kerry, I was having a look at your LinkedIn yesterday, and that's kind of looking at what, to me, I, I kind of saw as like a who's who of uh, like veteran strategic business executive type roles. Like you've had these big agency gigs um, over, over a number of years, worked at a range of kind of like these, I guess, big agencies and other entities. And it all kind of seemed like Australian places of business for, for a large part of the last sort of decade. And then I saw like a year that was in Phnom Penh, Cambodia. Mm -hmm. So I'd like, if possible, to kind of unpack how that little, uh, I guess, sidestep in your uh, career came about. And uh, yeah, maybe take it from there. Yeah, sounds good. And good stalking. Well done. Um, <laughs> so I think, as you said, my 
career was yeah largely in sort of media and marketing and then moved into business strategy in some sort of quite big organizations and I think throughout that I always had that sense that something was missing for me like I loved the people I worked with I had some amazing roles got to work with some amazing clients but it never felt completely fulfilling and what probably isn't reflected on my LinkedIn but over probably the past 10 years what I've been doing on the side is lots of volunteering with not-for-profits both in a sort of more casual way but also in terms of helping them with their business strategy so I'd really been starting to move into the social impact world for quite a number of years and was at that place that a lot of people probably get to where they're like, hang on, I want to do more good for the world. I want to do something with more purpose, but I also, I'm not finding what I want at a not-for-profit. Um, so looking at the not-for-profit landscape and not quite finding it. And what actually happened for me was this opportunity to go over and volunteer in Cambodia kind of fell into my lap. And it was a program where you go and effectively support Cambodian not-for-profits and help build their capacity. So I was working in strategy and operations, helping their leadership team to understand more about that world and get better at it. And that year in Cambodia sounds cliche, but was completely life-changing for me um, for many, many reasons. But that sense of doing good and the personal meaning combined with this realization around organizations' ability to do more good than just make money. And it felt like in Cambodia, every organization I was working with, yes, they made profit. Money is so important. Businesses have to be sustainable. Profit isn't a dirty word. But as well as making profit, they were also had amazing environmental policies and were really driving to make positive environmental change. They were also supporting their staff in ways that were sort of unheard of in Cambodia. So an ethical garment manufacturer over there called Dorsu, who gave their staff helmets because everyone cycled to work and couldn't afford helmets. They gave training, which just doesn't happen in the garment trade in Cambodia. And then also the communities and supporting communities they operated within. So they ran training programs in the villages in which they housed their factories and just this real sort of sense. And as you use the term conscious business, but this, this desire and sort of responsibility about giving back to the world and then coming back to Australia, which I was forced back when COVID hit, unfortunately, but coming back to Australia and just that we've got so much resource here in Australia and so many businesses that are making so much money. Why are Australian businesses not doing more? And how can we get Australian businesses to do more? And the stat that's sort of banded around is that 82% of the world's resources sit in private companies. So that's time, money. And so if we want to make real change, it's not governments that are going to make change. They haven't got the resources. It's these private companies. And how can we unlock that power in private companies to do good? So that was really where Leaders for Good came about and how Cambodia fit into that, into that piece of the puzzle. Cool, cool. So it was it was a real sort of eye-opening sidestep in a way. Did yeah. you your process to coming back to Australia? Was that a choice of yours or was Cambodia kind of closing its borders essentially for, for tourism? No, it was, uh, it was forced. Um, definitely it was sort of dragged kicking and screaming back. Um, it was an <laughs> Australian, Australian government run program that sends volunteers overseas. So they, they closed it down and sort of brought us back within a couple of days when, when it became clear that COVID was a serious, a serious issue. All right. So you've come, you come back to Australia, your eyes have been not totally like it was, totally unexpected what you experienced but it was something new and you came back inspired mm -hmm. and you've been doing stuff on the side anyway so kind of your heart and interests were in this uh, social impact yep. sphere anyway and then you've come back here and decided what's my next step so what did you kind of what did you kind of do from there 
Yeah, and actually, kind of fortuitous. So when I first came back to Australia, certainly wasn't a positive feeling and certainly wasn't thinking, I know what I'm about to do, I'm about to start a business. Um, it was actually, it was, and they, the sort of Australian government talked to us about it being very much a grief process when you're forced to leave a scenario like that. So good old anger and finally the sort of acceptance and learnings from it. And it was at that point that I started having a, effectively a coaching conversation with my business partner. And we were doing, I don't know if you know the Ikigai process about finding your I purpose. I do, yeah. Yep. yeah. So familiar. looking at what you love, what the world needs, what you're good at. Um, and we were brainstorming around that. And the idea around Leaders for Good sort of appeared very organically from that. And it just so happened. So he comes at it from a different angle, whereas I came at it from a sort of business perspective. He was coming at it from having lots of one-on-one. He does lots of coaching, lots of one-on-one coaching with leaders and leaders saying, I need more purpose in my life. Like there has to be more to this. So he was like, hang on, if we can find a way to give leaders more purpose without them having to lose their financial security, then we could be onto a real, real winner here. So we came at it from two angles. Um, but it was really that, it was that conversation. It was a, a brainstorm around what I wanted to do next and how I could do something purposeful that made real change in the world and what that looked like that gave birth to Leaders for Good. And we, it wasn't even really much of a discussion about whether we were going to do it. I think we were just both like, yeah, this is perfect. This makes sense, let's do it. <laughs> and we just ran with it. Um, and it's grown and changed as all new businesses do. We've sort of got a quite a different proposition now to the one we had before, but it's um, yeah, just been the kind of most wonderful process. As you touched on Kerry, uh, I guess any startup does go through this sort of evolution and yeah. has to go through these sort of, uh, I guess, people who refer to as pivots. So you try new yeah. things, you work out how they, how they resonate with the audience or don't, and then you adjust. So can you kind of talk me through some of the, the processes the, or the, the evolution of Leaders for Good? Mm. So where it started and where it is now, what, what, what is it offering to, to organizations? Yeah, I, th- I think the biggest change for us was we very much when we first started wanted to focus on individual leaders. So we were talking about running certification and training that would bring together lots of different leaders from different organizations to help train them in how to get better and how to implement some of these processes that allow your business to be better for the environment and your people um, and your communities. But what we realized quite quickly and through talking to organizations is that, yes, absolutely, the leaders can make a big difference but it's the systems and structures around them that are what prevents that or what makes that challenging Mm. so actually really working with an individual leader in an organization is much harder to make change than working with an entire organization and multiple leaders within that one system so we've pivoted to use your term from uh, sort of individual leader focus to leaders within organizations. So focusing more on organizational mindset and how we change organizations rather than how we change an individual leader. And what that's meant is that we've been able to yeah, make change much more quickly and you take the whole system along for the journey. So yes, we do leadership development, but actually rather than just working in that sense, we're actually working on sort of business and system transformation, which is both me and my business partner. We've got history in that as well. Um, and that's, yeah, that's now how we're being able to make a real difference. And, and how do those, how does that transfer transformation manifest itself in an actual execution for these, for these businesses? What would you actually take them through or do with them? Yeah. So I guess it depends where, what angle they're coming at. So there's a few different ways. The simplest, I say simplest, the sort of first step for some of the organizations we work with really is 
to be able to make any of this change, you have to understand what your purpose is as an organization. And I've articulated this a couple of times, but probably not the most clearly. And we take this view of purpose really as the triple bottom line view on purpose. So yes, profit is one of those, but it's also about people and it's also about the planet. So how do you incentivize and reward and build a purpose that spans all of those aspects? So that's what we'd call a true purpose. Like some organizations will have a purpose, which is to be, to lead a market. We don't think that's a purpose. We think it's a purpose that serves all stakeholders, including the environment and your communities. So stage one might be helping them work through a process that defines that purpose. So that would almost always be an approach that involves multiple people from across the business and getting business input to collaboratively develop that purpose and then work out how you implement it. So one of the things that's really interesting is almost every business, in fact, the status 86% of businesses um, say they have a purpose. So that might exist on their wall or on a website, but only 26% of businesses, so like a quarter of businesses have actually managed to embed it. So once you've got that purpose, you know what it is, it's meaningful. Um, how do you actually then bring that to life through all aspects of your organization? So it's not just having some values and talking to your people. It's how your processes work. It's how you position yourself in market. It's what your products look like. So helping organizations then to work through all of that and actually be able to truly embed purpose. So that's kind of one big chunk of what we do. And then we also work on a sort of individual engagement basis. So is it developing a sustainability strategy or one of the areas that's just exploded over the last 12 months? And probably, to be honest, is where we're getting the majority of our work is diversity and inclusion. So mm. organizations have realized how important it is. And Black Lives Matters really sort of brought it to the forefront. Um, but working with organizations almost in a sprint, sprint approach, I guess. So it's starting with understanding the current state. So how well are we currently in for, um, performing from a DNI perspective? So that's, yes, the metrics of difference that exist within your business, which is the diversity part, but also the inclusion part. So how are people feeling? Do they feel equally valued? And then once you've understood that current state, a visioning. So where do we want to be from a DNI perspective? What's our vision as an organization? What's our commitment? And then how do we get there? And working through that process with a representative sample across the business, um, almost in a steering group perspective, allows us to quite quickly get to a, a line strategy and then start to start to implement that. And of course, the most important part of it being actually making the change as opposed to just developing a strategy. It strikes me, Carrie, that there are real similarities between the process that an organization must go through in order to uh, I guess, reach an objective, whether it be for good objective or whatever it is. And that same process that an individual must go through mm. in terms of taking the time to think about what your purpose is, uh, maybe what your principles are, doing that like outcome visioning work before you start doing all the action. Yeah. And it's just really interesting that that, that, that I guess, framework still can apply at such a different level than the individual but is just as valuable to both yeah that that's really cool is, yeah, i love that... that i hadn't thought about it in that way but you're absolutely right yeah the, effectively the first part of that process is a reflection one um mm. so yeah really love that way of thinking is the in terms of let's just talk about purposes mm. for a bit so I guess there's purposes and then there's purposes, right? Like mm -hmm. as you were touching on, a, a, if a business is to say, my purpose is to be the, the, the business that makes the most revenue out of anyone in this kind of category. Yeah. Yep. 
that could be to to certain stakeholders of the business a really good mm-hmm. <laughs> purpose. They'd be yeah. like, this is great. You guys have got your hats on the right way because we're going to get rich. Yeah. And then looking at it through a leaders for good lens, mm-hmm. you might stand back and go, well, yeah, that's that's cool. And that might very well be a very uh, important objective to this mm-hmm. business. But what about these social impact type mm-hmm. things that we could look at? Um, so that disparity between, you know, whatever it was like a lot 80 80 plus percent of organizations who uh have a purpose but aren't executing on it mm-hmm. of the those like that 80 80 plus percentage of organizations do you have any idea what percentage of those in their purpose is like good already baked in am i articulating that correctly so yeah yeah i understand Um, I don't know is the answer, but I think it's a really interesting question. We are finding with most organizations that they have an inherent desire to do it, but it's not baked in because they don't quite know how. Um, So that's the number one thing people say to us is I want to do more good, but I just don't know where to start because it can feel sort of confusing and overwhelming. And there's a lot of movements in this area, things like conscious capitalism, um, effective altruism, like, and then lots of terminology like ESG and um, sustainability. And it's just, it, it's been made to be so complex that I think people yeah. find it really overwhelming. They're like, we wanna play, but we just don't know how. So I think a big part of what we're trying to do is how do you make it really simple? And again, cause we've both done a lot of work in the sort of, tech and agile space, we come with that mindset of actually, this isn't about wholesale change. We're not trying to take an organization from like a level one company in terms of doing good, which is probably the organizations that just do like a bake sale. We're not trying to turn them into a Patagonia, which we describe as a level five, so like a fully embedded purpose. We're not trying to do that overnight. What we're talking about is this incremental change. So how do we just do one or two things that can demonstrate effectiveness, can get your people on board, can can snowball into doing more so it's really like yeah how do we just sort of gradually get better and better um but in terms of your make question the first step yeah make the less, first step less of like a all-in type thing yeah. Yeah, yeah. kind of feel like we can we can make this step and know where it starts and stops and pull away from it and go yeah. we've actually achieved something yeah. uh quantifiable here and yeah okay yeah and it that's gets cool. such good feedback from people internally and i think that's one of the things that really helps us is if we can get organizations just to be like, okay, well, let's just do one thing. This isn't a big investment. This isn't a big time commitment. We're just going to do something small. And then when they see the reaction of their people internally, and then they suddenly Mm. see actually, and we can use this in our marketing and then it makes them want to do more. So even if they're not sure, once they see the impact of it, um, then they want to do lots more. Got it. Yeah. Again, I just see these, these parallels between this this working for an organization and an individual uh also i'd be really interested to know like that disparity between between having a purpose and executing on Mm -hmm. it how that compares to the average individual you know would those stats be similar yeah Uh, yeah i think you're absolutely right because it's it's the same isn't it it's all the conversations around goal setting at the moment is if you set your goals too big then you never achieve them so this whole conversation at the moment around micro goals Right. Um, the narrative's changed in the last sort of 18 months. Yep. Everything's about like, hey, maybe don't make your goals too big yeah. or yeah. too or too uh, basically make them a little bit more fuzzy so yeah. that you feel like you're moving towards them, but there's not like a hard, I achieved it or I didn't, and then I lose all momentum. 
Um, yeah, okay, that's really interesting. Yeah, and the, and the systems and processes thing, I think that really resonates for me that you can kind of apply these same things in an individual level or an organization level. So that's really cool. Uh, so riffing on the whole for good aspect mm. of this thing, I guess from your perspective, uh, Kerry, why, why does it make sense for organizations to be leaders for good? I like this question. Thank you. <laughs> you, you are armed for this, weren't you? Yeah, well, I mean, this, I guess this is what we talk about a lot. And this is the crux of it, is persuading organizations why they should do it. And we think of it in three ways. So there is the responsibility of business, which is it's the right thing to do as a sort of solid human in the world. And we're all, all businesses are run by humans. We all recognize that there is insane levels of inequality and some real challenges that the world possesses. And if it's in our power to do good and to help fix any of those, then we should be doing it. So number one is it's the responsibility. Second area is the opportunity. And all of the stats show that organizations that have a true purpose have higher staff retention. It's easier for them to recruit. Customers are more likely to buy from you. And an area that's of the most interest to me at the moment but is investors. So increasingly, investors will only invest in organizations that have um, really clear environmental policies, that have diversity and inclusion policies. So investors have realized the sort of third area that we talk about, which is the risk of not having these things. So right. we saw right. during We're seeing Black this in superannuation with, with Absolutely. yeah, okay. and, and, and in every sense. So same in Black Lives Matters, when all the organizations that put up the little black squares, but then had a fully white board, and the reputational risk there is huge. There's also legis legislative risks around it. So in the US, there's a whole load of um, discrimination cases going on with some of the big tech providers from black employees and also female employees that they've been discriminated both during the recruitment and development processes. So the responsibility of it, the opportunity and the risks associated with not doing it are the three reasons that we talk to organizations about getting involved. And we have actually have a document called the... Um, business case for good, where we've got a lot of stats around all of that. So if any of your listeners want access to the business case for good, I'm more than happy to share that document. It's basically the That's CFO slides. Cool. If you've got any sort of CFO or really numbersy people, it's good for them to persuade them that this is the right thing to do. Right. Which at the end of the day is going to be of paramount concern for organizations when, yep. when it comes to making decisions about any sort of change, they're going to want to see numbers or it's just, yeah, it's yep. too... I think also, aside from the fact that that's what they feel or, or their board will be required mm -hmm. for them to take any sort mm -hmm. of change, I think humans just need numbers too, yeah. right? Like we just, they help us to take what is kind of a qualitative concept and make it sort of actionable and enough of a concept for you to, to move forward with feeling like there's some data there which I think everyone kind of craves and I think it's a real balance between those things because some people are so numbers focused and then some people really need the stories so yeah. part of what we do when we do talk to organization is trying to tread that sort of fine line between the right balance of numbers and then also stories that really that really bring it to life yeah yeah totally get that I can certainly attest firsthand to having worked in the advertising industry for a long time mm -hmm. and kind of thought to myself on many an occasion is the work that I'm doing here does it have any value for anyone outside of these clients making money yeah and 
99% of the time, the answer was no. I could yep. not see any line between what I was doing and what social impact that was having in any, especially not in a positive way. It was probably yeah, having yeah. negative social impact in, yep. in many occasions. And this is the sort of thing that I discussed with a number of uh, like senior execs over mm. the years and who, who were in total agreement. That was kind of the one of the things that they really felt lacked from that working in that industry long-term was that if I turned around in 10, 15, 20 years time and looked at what change I actually have created mm. here, I can't really, uh, I can't really hold my head up high and say, geez, I was, I was part of something which was doing good. Yep. So, and I think that's a, that's a conscious decision for people to leave industries now and to switch mm -hmm. jobs and to, yep. and to look for something else. So yep. yeah, super valuable work. Yeah. I think at the end and of I the think day. real opportunity in every industry to build this stuff in so that people don't have to leave to find that meaning. So there's an organization that we work with that you might want to talk to actually um, called Alchemy One. So they are a sort of small boutique media agency, but they bake all of this stuff into everything that they do. So they work with people like Bank Australia and all of their sort of partnership activity is about how do you drive good through your marketing with their clients? So mm. it doesn't have to be something completely separate. And we're, we're talking about it with lots of different clients in different industries. But if you look at every single industry at the moment, it's being disrupted by purpose. So whether that's, um, as we've talked about finance and um, Bank Australia, or whether it's like toilet paper and who gives a crap, like every single industry is having this change. And the industries like the advertising world that haven't yet made that much change are ripe for disruption. And some of those newer players, I think are going to be able to do amazing things because clients want it as well. Clients don't know how to do it either. If we, given that newer players feel, I feel like newer players are, really embracing this sort of thinking mm. at their DNA roots level, yeah, yeah. right? Should we bother spending time trying to turn these old dogs into good dogs? And actually I'll let you answer that question first. Cause I feel like there's a lot of effort and time that needs to go into that versus someone putting up their hand and saying, I'm already good. Let's, let's do this. I'm ready to rock. Yeah. The trouble is the old dogs, as you call them, have their money and they have the resources. <laughs> yeah. So I, I like I have so much respect for all of the smaller organizations that are doing it and we do work with some smaller organizations as well including some founders that are like real early stages that want to work out how to bake this in from the start so we love that um but they do they have less resources they have less time they have less money so it's it's the it's the biggest players that are the ones that have the potential to make the most difference so I think we do we have to work at both ends of the spectrum yeah okay because though as you said those big institutions organizations have by far the lion's share of mm. uh, resources mm -hmm. and potential for social influence really yeah, at yeah, the end yeah. of the day. Yeah. I think where it becomes tricky, for example, like big banks, mm -hmm. I inherently don't trust a bank. Yeah, and yeah. when a bank tries to come across with a message in any way, which has like a, a, a for good yep. for running message, I, yeah, I, I feel like it jars with me. And I'm, I think the challenge for them is to, to, and for bigger organizations, uh, is to be acting on these yes. uh, claims. Yep. And that will then inherently create this momentum of, of uh, I guess, social onboarding. Like people go, oh, actually, this bank's actually, or this superannuation company's actually doing things. Is that kind of your thinking, Kerry? Is that at the end of the day, it is action which is going to create the positive change 
uh, and the belief in society that these institutions are changing? Yeah, absolutely. And I think it has to be action first. Um, but we do have a lot of conversations with clients around yeah, how do you, what's the right way to communicate this? And some clients that actually, so NRMA isn't a client of ours, but they were on our podcast recently and they're an amazing brand. And during, uh, when COVID first hit, they did some amazing stuff. So for an example, they obviously offer roadside assist. Suddenly there's no cars on the road. They transferred all of their roadside assist vehicles to deliver medicines to people that couldn't get them because they were in hard to reach oh, areas. Their entire cool. call center, they changed into doing one-on-one -on -one calls with people that were lonely or vulnerable. So they retrained their entire call center to do these reach out calls, like amazing things, but they never communicated it to their members. Because Why they, do I not know that? I'm like, this is amazing. And there was so much they did, but they didn't communicate it because they didn't want us to be seen as um, like chest beating, right? So they didn't communicate it. it. Then what happened was they got in real trouble with their members because their members are like, why aren't you doing anything? Like, this is awful, NRMA, you're a community organization, you should be stepping in. And then they're like, oh, shit, we better do something now, we'll communicate it. But <laughs> and it came from such a good place, right? Because they really focused on humility, but people actually want to know what brands are doing. Like people are asking for you to share this stuff. So as long as especially you're taking- Especially customer stakeholders. Especially like customer stakeholders. Like who are already spending money with you. Yeah, like, yeah. yeah. So yeah. As, as long as you take the action and then you tell people about it and you're doing something that is really good, it is really meaningful, then you tell people and you do it in an authentic way. And like I said, when I was talking to them, I was saying, for example, you didn't have to just say we've done this you could celebrate stories of your roadside assist drivers or you could celebrate stories of that came directly from your call centers doing this new doing these new um taking these new processes which they've never done before so you can do it in a really human way and it can still be really humble but people do want to hear about this because they're good news stories we've got enough negative news i think where brands mm. can play and have a real opportunity is to yeah, bring the positivity from what they're doing um as long as you're, as you said, as long as you're actually taking action, then it's, it's all good. Another, another parallel between, I guess, organizations and individuals, right? Mm. Is that <laughs> people, people like to, and believe in action first. So, yes. you know, I think it's, it, that's a pretty good rule to live by all things yeah. considered. And it actually, it's, it's also interesting because it comes down to a lot of the work being in inclusion at the moment as well, which is this sort of old school model that you have to change attitude to change behavior and actually what mm -hmm. we increasingly see is you change behavior and then the attitude change follows right. so it's right. much easier to get someone to act differently than it is to get someone to think differently because our thoughts are mm. so ingrained so actually if you can introduce someone to this is a very extreme example but if, if someone was homophobic and you actually get them to know someone that is gay as an example and then that interaction mm. and that behavior actually changes the attitude you would never yeah, be able to do that it. in the reverse. Um, Trying to sit them in a workshop to tell them yeah. about all the reasons homosexuality yeah. is okay is not exactly. have the same effect. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, um, so a lot of the work we do in that area really, yeah, it is. It's about how do you help people and organizations to make this change that's then going to flow on to make some real attitude and behavioral shifts. Kerry, as a society, we're transitioning in a positive way. It's been a gradual last transition towards more women in leadership positions, uh, more women creating startups, all this good stuff, all this kind of social change is happening. For a lot of people, they would say that's happening very slowly, but I feel like it's, we're kind of getting momentum there and this, this is a good thing. Um, do you think as we get more women in senior positions in organizations, we'll inherently have more good organizations? It will just be a byproduct of that? Yes. 
<laughs> Simple answer. Um, there's been a lot of chat around International Women's Day recently, and someone asked me that exact question. We had a debate about it, and yeah, inherently I do. Like that is my belief that mm. that will create a lot of change for the better. Yeah, yeah, I tend to agree too. I think that's <laughs> one of the the great things about the the shift in society towards that <laughs> is that it can only be a good thing mm-hmm. from that point of view. Uh, yeah. 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 And you look at leaders like Jacinda Ardern and she, for me, is like best in class in terms of leadership. And you just you see the things that are happening and the way she's leading. Like mm-hmm. men and women do, like not every man and every woman, but there are masculine and feminine traits that tend to be different. Mm-hmm. Um, and women's traits tend to be more around the collective community, collaboration, all of the things that point to the real need to do more good. Um, mm. so I, yeah, I completely agree. How have you found the podcast experience, uh, Kerry, running one, uh, having a co-host, Phil Cross? Um, how's, that all, how's that all panned out for you? From Have you enjoyed it? Yeah, absolutely. And I'm very lucky because Phil's been doing podcasting for, well, since before podcasting was really a thing. He um, comes, he used to do, to coach high performance athletes. So he had a, a wow. podcast on high performance athletes. Um, so it's been from a technical perspective, incredibly easy and he's amazing and takes on all of that role. And then I've just, I've really enjoyed it. I think it takes time to get used to the sound of your own voice. Um, <laughs> yeah, tell me about it. <laughs> but we run ours in a very similar way to you. So it's just a conversation. You're just having a really interesting chat with interesting people. Um, so I've absolutely, yeah. yeah, I've loved, loved the podcasting process. I'm much more comfortable with podcasting than video, but video is probably <laughs> our, our next step trying to get better in that area as well. On the cards. Uh, yeah. how, how did you and Phil meet out of interest? We used to work together about five years ago. We worked together for a couple of years um, in a tech tech company, both in the cool. leadership team there. Yeah, you sort of, when you share that like-mindedness with someone, that mm. sort of bond can really uh, stand the test of time, can't it? Like you just yeah. find yourself continually re-engaging with these people and thought sharing and yeah, yeah that's that's really nice and we're lucky because we're mm. actually very different but in a really complimentary way so he is at, mm. he is one of the sort of smartest minds I know and super intellectual um reads reads and lots of books and listens to lots of content and goes very deep into frameworks and models whereas I'm more sort of practical how do we make this happen how do we take action so those two really balances out each other out really really well um, so we've been very, very lucky with that. It sounds like the the one of the fundamental building blocks of a good partnership in a yeah. in a business context, but also in a relationship context, is that yeah, kind yeah. of understanding and appreciating each other's uh, differences. Uh, yeah. I can see how that would really work well for you guys. Yeah, we've been very um, lucky. Yeah, that's cool. So let's jump into the post-fight interview questions. I've just got a yeah, cap- couple fun. here. Um, do you have sort of a secret thrill or passion outside of your leaders for good, uh, project? A secret thrill or passion. I have endless passions, um, (laughs) and lots of things that I do. I'm really focused on the environmental space at the moment. Um, so I'm involved in quite a lot of environmental community groups because it's an area I just don't feel like I understand enough in. And part of that is learning about how you make social change and community organizing. Um, and that is definitely a real, a real passion area. Mm. And there, there's so much content to delve into there, isn't there? Mm. I, there's so many active 
operators at a grassroots level yeah. and larger that you can, if you really get into that, you could uh, almost be all consuming. There's so much yeah. going on. And the uh, level of passion in that, in those community groups and yes, in the community organizations, is just so high. Um, and I don't quite know what I'm going to do with this, but I think there's, there's definitely an opportunity there to help them. And I don't think this is necessarily me doing that, but help them be more effective because they're still mm. not working together. So as an example, the area I live, um, the sort of three local council areas, there's I think 105 community groups all fighting for the environment. So all doing really similar things, but pointing in different directions. So how can we try and bring those together and make them stronger whilst obviously not losing the nuance and the uniqueness that each of them have? I think it's a really mm. interesting, a really interesting challenge. Because mm, they're they're all part of a tribe essentially. Yeah. Whether yeah, yeah. they're doing different things, they're yeah. all moving towards a, a singular, yeah. uh, higher aim. So yeah, I think there's yeah. a lot of value yeah. there because there's a single voice, not that much sway. When anybody recognizes yeah. that there's 30 people moving towards yeah. the same objective, suddenly you've got sway in a local council or something yeah, like yeah. that. So yeah. yeah, that's awesome. Uh, anything that you're trying to get better at at the moment? endless things that I'm trying to get better at um <laughs> I think Phil would probably say one of my big focus areas is patience um <laughs> I I want things to happen very quickly and things like the climate emergency given we're on that topic I feel that sort of inherently in my chest that there's just not enough urgency yeah. around some of these things but mm -hmm. it's sort of learning to accept that and do what you can in the moment um, to make the change, I think is a, a really big, a really big focus for me, acceptance and sort of taking things a bit more, a bit more slowly. Um, yeah. Yeah. Gotcha. Easier said than done. Be, yeah, really, really is, isn't it? I feel like that, that also that narrative got, got significantly derailed by the whole COVID thing yeah. and yeah, yeah. hasn't really returned to a, to a, uh, to the levels that was pre COVID. So hopefully that, happen sooner rather than later i think we yeah and i hope i'm somewhere. hoping joe biden um signing back to the paris agreement in the u.s is just going to put a huge pressure on us here in australia that we need to up our game so I, i'm hoping we see big changes here in the next 12 months yeah apply the the thumb screws a little bit so that yep. the uh yeah yeah i like it uh and let's talk about just quickly daily routine do you have anything that you that you do every day that you feel like is your recipe for success or you're pretty fluid uh, I did have a routine. I'll be honest, it's sort of changed as I know a lot of people have since COVID. My sort of old routine <laughs> always involved sunrise. And I think I would have mm. accounted that sort of early starter as a big part of my success. But I'm much more fluid now. Um, I'm listening to my body more and I'm letting myself sleep when I need to sleep. So I'm not sure if I do. I don't think I've got anywhere near a routine that if we'd had this conversation 12 months ago, I would have, I would have told you that I have. But <laughs> I'm not drinking at the moment. I'm definitely focused on some sort of exercise and activity every day and yeah, focus towards healthy, healthy living where possible. Mm. A good break from, uh, from the booze is always, always worthwhile. I try and take a couple of weeks off every sort of quarter and then do yeah. the dry July is yeah. kind of, that's my recipe these days. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. That's, that's a good, a good one that anyone can really do. I mean, and, and feel like the positive effects of it. So I get yeah, that. I agree. And the last question I'll ask you, Kerry. So <clears throat> when things do get a bit tough, whether it's leaders for good or, or personal stuff or 
as you kind of you can we can experience as a population a bit of anxiety about this mm -hmm. whole uh the climate emergency that's going on so when you hit a dip how do you kind of come back from that what's what's your what's your positive step to kind of bounce back yeah i mean mine's exercise so running and yoga i love and yeah using sort of getting into the physical body as a way to mm -hmm. calm the mind is is really my my go-to i'm trying meditation at the moment i've done i've meditated every day for the last what couple of months um and haven't yet Good. had a huge amount of success with that but I'm, I'm going forwards with it but for me it is it's the physical getting into the physical body is what what helps me get out of my out of my own head yeah, that's basically you gave the exact same answer as Isabel done. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, and yeah, I can also attest to the, the benefits of physical exercise. Also meditation. Yeah. I've probably been doing that uh, for about maybe four years now. And yeah, okay. probably had the similar sort of challenges that you're experiencing at the start of it. But I can only suggest uh, or attest to its value if you can just yeah. stick with it, even if it's a smaller five minute, just punching that out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, it becomes a really helpful pillar. I think it's probably because it's something in your day that you can control and yep. that you walk away from it kind of going, yep, I've had that moment, got that little space in my day and that's ticked off the box. And somewhere deep down in your subconscious, you're like winning. I'm yeah. already winning yeah, yeah, today. Yeah, yeah. I, can def I definitely <laughs> feel that part of it, even if I don't necessarily get to the clear mind part. Yeah, I don't, I don't think clear mind's a thing. Don't worry about that. It's just the act <laughs> Of meditating don't worry yeah. about anything else but that yeah that's yeah. what i'm, I'm probably tell probably myself. overthinking it as with everything uh i think we're all we're all guilty of that mm -hmm. uh carrie thank you so much it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the doing epic stuff podcast nice uh, anything else you'd like to uh say promote anything i can add stuff into the show notes as well i don't think so um no cool all good for me Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Doing Epic Stuff podcast. For the latest Doing Epic Stuff happenings, you can join our newsletter on mailchimp.doingepicstuff.com forward slash subscribe. And for direct inquiries, catch me on mike at doingepicstuff.com. We out.